Hi there, I am Ivy, and I'm the host of the Four Parents Podcast. Pop in your earbuds and multitask while we talk about all of the parenting stuff, lessons learned, funny stories, and practical wisdom from normal people who have been there. This summer, as I thought through conversations I wanted to have on here, I kept coming back to the idea of talking to a couple that is raising children while serving in the military. The only problem is I didn't personally know anyone that fit that (laughs) description. Um, So I was brainstorming this idea with my friends, and one of my friends knew Yancey and Emily, who were both in the military. They have two boys, and you will hear about what it's been like moving their family all over the world, how the military has impacted their family, and just some all-around pretty cool stories. I left this conversation with a little more understanding of military life, me being this normal civilian. All of it was super foreign to me. So I so appreciated them having the willingness to share on here and help us, I I guess, normal people get a glimpse of their life. Here it is. Okay, so tell me about how and where you started in the military and what compelled you to take that path. I was in nursing school and they have scholarships just for um, specific to nursing school. And so that's. I I took an ROTC scholarship in the army pretty much to fund my school. (laughs) Wow. Did you think too much about it at the time or were you just like, okay, this is, it it seems like a good way to get through college and not go into debt kind of thing. Um, Well, I had some debt anyway, but um, we are a military family. So my dad was in the military and you know, I have some uncles and, and whatnot in the military. So it wasn't new to me. Um, my sister who's two years older than me had done an ROTC scholarship and she's the one who told me about the nursing. Like they had one specific to nursing. Okay, cool. And Yancy, what about you? Um, I knew I wanted to go into the military. I preferred to go into the air force. I had some designs on flying when I first joined. Uh, was <clears throat> medically disqualified, you know, and uh, the Air Force in 94 wasn't really hiring a lot of pilots. So the competition was very fierce. So I ended up um, going through ROTC for four years. I got some money the last two years, but that didn't really matter to me. I wanted to do it anyway. Okay. Ended up in personnel. So I'm in HR for the military doing that ever since. So would y'all say overall, it's been a great journey? As a family, I think it has been. Um, The military as a profession has given us a lot of opportunities that I don't think a lot of folks enjoy. And um, to give you some idea, I mean, there's pros and cons to it. You know, I have two master's degrees and a bachelor's degree because of the military and access to education. Yes. Yes, we've lived and we can get into this when we start talking about how many times we've moved. But our youngest son was born in Germany. And by the time he was five, he had lived in Germany, the United States and Korea. I know not not many people get that opportunity. Right. You know, there's there's such a give and take with it, though. It's hard to say, like, it's been great. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, there are times when it's really hard and there's times when it's really great. Right. Well, 
with all jobs, there's things that are great and there's things that are hard. I think it's especially unique for you guys. But what is there something that you could kind of think of like a rewarding experience where you're like, yep, that that keeps me going. Can you think of something like that? For me, and Yancy probably would have a very similar answer, I'm guessing, it's um, the people that you meet along the way. I know. Yes. Everywhere you go is unique. And, you know, there's always, almost always an instant community of people who are in the same boat as you, like as a spouse and a mom, having that is key to survival a lot of times. (laughs) Right, right. The best part of it is the people. Right. Yeah. And there are, you know, individual experiences that I could probably point to that were kind of refueling in that, that way. I mean, I've, I've flown through the Alps in a helicopter. You know, I've seen the, <laughs> I've seen the Panjshir Valley. Um, wow! I've been to the ancient city of Ur. Um, so, uh, you know, we've lived in places that have, you know, take for instance, um, example, when we lived in Neuhausen, which was where we lived when we were in Germany. I mean, that town was founded, I think, in the, the 14th century. And so they had an existing government going back, you know, you know, a millennia almost. Um, So it was, you know, you lived in a town that was over 700 years old, not quite a millennia, but, you know, seven centuries at that point. Yeah. Um, I've been, you know, one of my jobs was as speechwriter to the secretary of defense. And so one of the first, first gigs I had was, um, we ended up in the King David Hotel in Jerusalem, and there's Ehud Barak and the Secretary of Defense in the next room having a joint press conference. And, you know, I, I got to be a tiny part of that. Um, there's also been stuff that, you know, um, I've been in a KC-135 that's been struck by lightning. Um, I've been in that same helicopter that had such a bad, you know, leak in it that we had to had to land and we wouldn't have made it very much farther if we hadn't landed when we did. So, oh. um, but you know, again, think, think about it this way. And I'm, I'm a support officer. I'm the guy I have worked in an office most of my military career. Mm-hmm. And Emily's talked about you know, the people that you meet. I met a fellow student when I was at air war college that saw the last helicopter take off from the American embassy in Saigon in 1975 and was smuggled out by pirates and was eventually rescued and became a colonel in the Air Force. Whoa. Uh, I'm, I had a young lady that worked for me that was raised in the circus. Her family were trapeze artists. <laughs> um, you know, I met a, a tech sergeant a couple of weeks ago that ran network security um, and he managed something, you know, a couple of hundred servers that are handling very secure data for us and he didn't like the software that they were using for um server management so he wrote his own as you do i guess i'm like what and i sat down with him and and he showed me exactly what he had done and this was not something cobbled together it had a, a graphic user interface it could tell you how many users were on it down to almost telling you what the temperature of the motherboard was for each one of those 
and he did it by himself. And I'm like, that's amazing. What do you do in your spare time? And he told me, I take pictures of galaxies. And so he showed me, you know, he was an astronomical photographer. And so he showed me a picture of the fireworks galaxy and it looked like it came off the Hubble telescope. That is amazing. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I, you probably could go on for a little bit longer. I'm sure I could, you know, I sat across from, yeah, I sat across from a single mom who flew helicopters in her spare, spare time. Oh, wow. Wow. Do you, Emily, the friends that you talk about, do you keep up with a lot of those relationships, even though they're now all over the place? Um, you try, um, you know, Facebook certainly helps with that. Um, you know, there's people that I've met in places and, you know, everybody's personality is a little bit different. You know, Yancy and I tend towards a little bit of the introvert to where we'll have, you know, a couple of really, really close friends. And I, and yes, there are people who I would, I could call, you know, tomorrow and talk about everything I needed to talk about from, even though I knew them from two bases ago, you know? (laughs) Right. You understand each other's lives a little bit better than, and, and you've probably been through stuff where you have a lot of depth there. Right. And similar, in similar situations, you know, (laughs) we all understand, you know, how hard it is to move or how hard it is to, you know, start the new school for your kids, you know, all those things. And yes, you know, we, uh, support each other. Specifically for your kids. How do you think this military life has positively impacted them? Well, they've gotten to see and do things that many people don't do their entire lives and they're eight and 11. (laughs) Right. Like, give me some good examples of that. Uh, when we lived in Korea, we lived in South Korea for two years. We took our first vacation was to Cambodia and our kids, our family walked the whole two kilometer length of Angkor Wat. That's awesome. I mean, and they were little dudes, but they loved it. And, you know, at the time (laughs) you could crawl all over everything. I don't know if you can still do that, but, um, they were, they were given a little bit of freedom. You know, it's a lot of it is outside and, they could just crawl everywhere and look at things. And, you know, it was super cool for them. And we were so impressed that they it well, how old was Case? He was three or four. Um, and he got carried part of it. Um, you know, but our five-year-old walked the whole thing and <laughs> that's, you know, awesome. it was neat. Yeah. It was to, to get to do things like that. They've had things kind of broaden their scope that, even, you know, their cousins aren't getting because they've, well, we've lived overseas twice with kids. So, um, you know, they get this really broad worldview that maybe a lot of kids don't get. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, what about what, what's hard about it for your kids or for you guys, just the family as a whole? Our last move was probably the hardest Mm -hmm. because the kids were really old enough to um, miss their friends and miss their neighborhood and and things like that. So that's probably one of the harder things is 
you know, learning how to move on from one place to the next. Right. And Emily, you're not in the military. It's all moves. Correct. No, I, when we got married, I left the military. Yeah. Okay. Moving can develop a bunch of grit and be a really great thing for kids, Mm -hmm. you know, but do y'all feel any sort of guilt or like, ah, is this, is this okay when you make a move or not really? You're going to feel guilt as a parent, whether it's rational or not. Exactly. Do I feel guilty that we've moved them? No, uh, mainly because in, in this case, especially when they were conscious of the actual move, I will tell you that access to technology has made the transition a lot easier because they Zoom with a, and you know, play video games with a lot of their friends. That maintains that connection. And they have found similar experiences here that they've been comfortable with to include sports and scouts. And so those have helped as well. So watching them gain altitude and, you know, adjust to the transition much easier than we did because this transition was toughest on mom and dad because now, you know, you're moving again. And this is probably between 10 and 12 moves since we've been married. And we've moved every two years since at least 2005. This is the first time where we haven't moved at the two-year point. Why do you move every two years? It's been, I think, eight. I don't think it's quite that many. I think it's been eight moves since we've been married. Yeah, when you, well, and I also factor. Maybe that's more than that. I don't know. I might be missing some. I might be missing some. We, well, mostly it's because of job uh, opportunities or schooling opportunities. That's been a big one for us, for Yancey. Um, so he, and deployments. Um, um, and then the type of job. I mean, some, some types of jobs you only stay in for two years. We've moved two years or less since we've been married. <laughs> and it was most of it because it's the type of job he's in. Right. And, and the expectation is, is that um, for officers, you move at the two-year point. You're only expected to stay two years. Staying longer than that is either the effect of a job that requires you to be there for a set period of time. Mm-hmm. Like the current position I'm in, where I can per, going to pursue it all the way to completion, it's a three-year tour. And I've been, um, when I was in Germany, that job was supposed to be a three-year tour, but at two years, um, I was selected for a school, and that's why we moved. And so the two years is about the frequency with which the Air Force is going to move you. Gotcha. So what does it look like for y'all to say, like, okay, we're going to, in a healthy way, say bye to this place we've called home? What does that look like? Well, we don't keep anything secret from the kids. Uh Oh, yes. The minute that moving is coming up, we talk with them about it. Okay, dad's, you know, on the list for, you know, something that's going to cause us to move. So when that list comes out, we'll see if we're going to move or not. And we thought we were moving this summer and then we didn't because Auntie just ended up getting a job in the area. So we moved jobs. We just didn't have to move. Mm. So, and that doesn't usually happen, but um, 
it was kind of nice to <laughs> not have to move. But <laughs> right. we, I mean, we just put it all out there on the table. We don't hide anything from them. We don't keep it a secret. We're like, okay, you know, the jobs are coming open and this is what, you know, people are talking about to daddy about, you know, we could go here, here, or here, or we could go to none of those places, you know? So the biggest part of it is just being really open with them and, and keeping them in the loop of what's happening. So it's not a surprise. It's not like, what are you talking about? Exactly. And then we also try and give them things to look forward to once we get there. Yeah. Yes. So then what does it look like to establish new roots in a place? What what do y'all do to kind of go, okay, here's how we're going to feel settled. Well, the, 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 Age of Electronics has made this amazing right? <laughs> because every base has a military spouse page <gasps> and yes. hop right on there on, you know, okay, I'm going to search the Andrews Air Force Base military spouse page. Hey, we're moving there. Can you add me to your page? And can you answer my 500 questions about where to live and what are good schools and, you know, yes. things like that. So that's where I start is, um, other spouses and their advice. <laughs> yes. I, yes, it's so helpful. And then what kind of, so you you get your kids in, okay, they play soccer, whatever they, the sports they play, let's find a team for them to be on. Is that hard or no? Not really. Um, most of the time, you know, other, you're, you know, all you got to do is ask, Hey, what's a good soccer program for a fourth grader? And you'll probably get 10 answers. <laughs> That it, and then schools, are they just in like just whatever public school or what did y'all do when you were living overseas? When we lived in Germany, Boyd was preschool age and we lived on the economy. So we lived in a German town. We didn't live on base there. So he went to a German kindergarten. Did he learn just, German? It was, I know it was adorable. <gasps> oh my, yeah, he could speak <gasps> German. He could speak German. Great. <laughs> That's awesome. He was three when he started and what, four and a half or so when we left and we would go to the grocery stores and, you know, someone would say something to me and I didn't catch it or didn't understand. And he'd turn to me and say, well, she said this, you know, <laughs> that is so great. It took him about six months and then, and he did, and then it just flew like he, he could do it, you know? Yeah. It was so cute. It was just awesome. And he loved it. When we lived in Korea, um, they have a department of defense school. So overseas you have schools usually on base that are run by the department of defense and have, you know, it's just like a regular old public school. Um, but they have, it's more mindful to maybe the issues that military kids might be facing. Um, But when we were in Korea, Boyd was starting actual kindergarten, like the grade of kindergarten. But we ended up putting him in a private school just because we weren't sure he could handle a large, just emotionally, developmentally, handle a big classroom of 25 kids and all that. Um, So he was in a private school, an international British school while we were in Korea. Okay. What, I, I just don't know this logistically. What, what makes you either live on base or not on base? So sometimes the position that you were in requires you to live on base. 
And so when I was a squadron commander and a group commander, they required me to live on base for response time. We have lived on base. We lived on base in Korea. That also required us to live on base. And so we lived off base in Germany. And when I was stationed in England, I lived off base in England because it was an option that you could you could do that. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just made more sense financially because it kind of paid you a pile to live off base. So I did. Um, and, you know, between availability and position, you know, you know whether or not you want to be on base or you're required to be on base and whether or not you want to be off. Um, the only reason we would have lived on base in D.C. would have been access to the, the school that was on Andrews, but Andrews, it was a magnet school. And so it was a lottery. We would have had to have won the lottery twice in order for both of our children to go to that school. Oh, so if you, you said response time, like your position required you to like, if you're needed, you got to get there fast. Do you have set like office hours or are you, (laughs) he's rolling his eyes. No. (laughs) No, I mean, the position is the, you know, the kind of the trope is, is that if you're in the military, you're on duty all the time. Right. And so my phone could ring any time of the day or night and I would have to respond appropriately, whether that is, you know, someone has gone to the hospital or there has been an incident on base that my boss needs me to look into. Um, It could be any number of things. And so being that close to the office, I had... Um, response time in minutes as opposed to longer than that. And so it just made more sense from from a command and control perspective because my boss needed me in command and in control of certain things. And so that that's how it worked. You know, in Oklahoma, I could see my office from the house. And so that makes it pretty easy that you can roll out of bed at 720 and be at work at 735. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but so raising a family, I feel like the the one of the things you read and hear as parents is like you need to value family time and set that set that aside. Is that challenging for y'all? I wouldn't say so. I no, mean, I don't think so. I, I think there's we have been lucky in that we have had very few deployments and long separations due to TDYs or things like that. Um, When Boyd was a baby, he was nine months old, I think, when you left. Yancey was in Afghanistan for a year when Boyd was nine months old. And that's the only big deployment that we've had. After children. After children, yes. Um, there's been some shorter, like three or four months. Did you do a six month when we were in Germany? You were six months, but that was in Tampa. That one doesn't really count, but you were still gone from us, you know? So (laughs) yeah, yeah. We're in Germany in Tampa, but those things happen, you know? And then in Korea, you have a fairly robust exercise schedule. So, um, about once every six months, I would be gone three weeks-ish um, to another site in order to participate in the exercise. Okay. And you had a couple of times 
who had to go back to the States for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks too. So Korea was one of our harder assignments just because it's really uh, intense. You know, the guys work really hard there. Like they are, they work really hard. <laughs> so yeah, our weekend time, everybody there, you know, your weekend time is really, really special. And, you know, people there do guard their weekends a lot. Um, you know, maybe here in the States where it's a little bit more relaxed and, you know, you're not working, you know, 14 hour days or 12 or 14 hour days, Monday through Friday, then, um, and I was lucky in that I usually didn't have to go in on the weekends in Korea. And there were guys that, you know, didn't see a weekend for three or four months while they were in Korea. And so that's, you know, that's just the nature of being overseas. You know, the expectation, right. the operational tempo is going to be as high or higher than any position you, you held in the States. And so um, is and it- most people aren't in Korea for more than two years. So the turnover is really high. Unless they choose to be. Yeah. I mean, the turnover is really high and, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to describe. It's really intense there. (laughs) But to get back to your original question, do I feel like it's hard? No. Um, I think it is much like anything that parents do. You have to exert a certain amount of will in order Mm -hmm. to establish those things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure that the white whiteboard calendar at your house is just as filled up in different color magic marker as ours is. And so you, you plan around um, those items. And just as Emily told me once, that was very important to me. If you're there, be there. Yes. Yes. If you, you know, you don't necessarily need to plan formal events as long as you are participating in whatever the family's doing at the time. Right. You know, the past couple of weeks, that's been standing out in front of our local and selling Boy Scout popcorn or, you know, sitting on the sidelines yelling at my son to, you know, get after the ball and soccer. You know, those, those. Types. Right. Right. And we've got trips coming up. We do um, take a certain amount of pride in making sure that we take some meaningful trips during the year. Um, Things that are just us, just the four of us. We've been doing, you know, we like to see family and do that, but we try to do things that are just us as well. I have in my mind that military families, the kids have all this structure and discipline and it's very strict. Is that true or no? Well, I mean, I guess it would be in comparison to what? You know, I just, I feel like when you think of, okay, a dad that's in the military, he's going to be very strict and have strict boundaries and high expectations. So I do have set expectations and I have high, you know, high expectations of what I think our children can do, but that's based on how smart I believe they are. Or what they're capable of. Right. Would we be considered strict for having a fair amount of structure in comparison to the other parents that are in our neighborhood? Maybe. Um, But we also have, you know, as part of our marriage, we sat down and discussed exactly what it is before we became parents, how we wanted to go about in the broad terms of raising our children. And that began with simple things like manners and, you know, giving and receiving respect and what we expected them to do in terms of 
Um, there was a minimum expectation of what they would be responsible for doing that didn't involve some form of incentivization. You, know, you will clean your room, not because you get TV, but because that is what we expect you to do. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that that's unique to a military family. I mean, there's going to be some families who are like that, but it's more like something you have to remember about the military is that it's just like, this slice of America and this whole giant pie of America, you know, the military is this little slice. So you're going to get all these pieces, you know, in the military that you would get anywhere outside of the military. Exactly. You know, just maybe under a different snow globe. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So, you know, we have friends who are really strict and rigid and we have friends who are like, you know, watch, go watch TV all day. You know, we, we may be somewhere in the middle. I don't know, but, right. um, you know, but we have friends, you know, who are not in the military who are, you know, they like structure and that's just how they are, you know? Yes. yes. Like you can't make a blanket statement of all military families have high, blah, 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 blah. but I do think your world is very structured. Your career is very structured. Yes. Mm-hmm. Life in the military is structured and regimented. And yes. in the absolute vast majority of those cases, there is an important reason for such things. Mm-hmm. You know, not to be too hyperbolic about it with the understanding that, you know, in HR, if I don't do something, lives are not at risk. But there are many professions within the profession of the military where lives are at risk. Yes. And there is a tendency to see, you know, the world through a system of rules in which the rules were written because someone either was injured or lost their life for not following those rules. And so that is why, you know, there are a lot of places where, you know, the do's and don'ts are for lack of a better term or, you know, not to be ghoulish, but a Navy friend of mine told me that the flight safety rules that we follow are all written in blood. You know, someone was injured or died because of that. And there are usually very good reasons for the way we do things. And that logical regimented checklisting approach that the military takes um, can be put on personal life because it has been successful. And if you see that as being a method in which you can be successful, why wouldn't you use it? You know, it, it, it also applies to everything from how do you build a house, you know, a household budget, you know, that's very logical and regimented and you have to be um, capable of doing that, especially when you're on your own in Germany and you don't speak the local language and you need to be as self-sufficient as possible. And I think that's something that, the military requires you to do is to be self-sufficient because there won't be someone supervising you all the time and you need to be doing the right thing all the time. And that is also something that speaks to you as a person. So in, in turn, when I'm being, you know, dad to my children, then what I do in the military in terms of regiment and structure and logic, a logical approach to solving problems is going to be a very similar, the same way in which I approach teaching my kids how to clean their room or, you know, how do I teach them how to 
you know, know our phone number or where we live or, you know, some of those things. Because if you're in Korea and you get separated from your kid, knowing your address is really important. Yes. How long have you been doing this? 27 years. It's a long time. And we've been married 17. Because you forget, you forget the first year because you're all, you were in Iraq. The first year. <laughs> we got married and I went to Iraq for a year. So I always kind of forget when we're adding it up to include that year. Oh my goodness. Did y'all meet in the military? Yes. yes. Oh. We were in Qatar. We were deployed together in Qatar. That's where we met. Does that happen a lot? Um, yeah. I mean, dual military spouses is not uncommon. I think that, I don't know that it happens a lot that people meet deployed and get married, but um, we know maybe two or three other couples who did. Or, you know, a case of a military person and a civilian employee meeting and getting married, that happens. Um, Okay. And so, yeah, does it happen a lot? I don't know. It happened with us, so 100% of the time for us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What does it look like? And I said, you know, normal people. What do we? What do you call us? Normal, just civilians. Yeah, <laughs> as normal people to support or honor, respect you, your kids, your family. What What would it look like for us to do that? Well, understand that that's not mandatory, uh-huh. and it's also for me. It is not expected. Mm-hmm. I did this because I wanted to do it. I continue Mm -hmm. to do it because I want to do it. And someone who expresses gratitude for me going to work and doing the thing that I want to do is sometimes a little uncomfortable. Okay. That's good to know. It was no great sacrifice for me to join the military because that's what I wanted to do. Uh, Right. And someone expressing gratitude for me doing the job that I always wanted to do is a bit of you know cognitive dissonance. It doesn't really make sense to me. I appreciate the gesture, and I will never say anything unkind to the person other than thank you, you know, thank you for your support or something along those lines. But right. I don't you know I don't expect that, um, and you know, and sometimes it can be uncomfortable. There's I had a rolling conversation with someone of well, what do you say? I mean, well, what would you say if someone told you you had a nice haircut? Thanks. Okay. You know, it's no different. You know, they're expressing yes. gratitude for something that you did. So, you know, ensure that they understand that the gesture is appreciated. Okay. Well, and I have a little bit different take on it, mainly because my dad was a veteran. He's a Vietnam era veteran. Um, and he was in the military in a time where people did not just come up to military people and say thank you they most of the time they did the exact opposite gosh yeah so I tend to appreciate it a little bit more because I know that it's not always been that way and that people now are so happy to thank veteran I think is wonderful for our kids I think it's just a matter of understanding that military kids would have a set of stressors on them that most other kids might not have. And just being a little more patient with that. You know, if you're, you don't have a bunch of military kids in your school and you have maybe one or two, 
and that child dad is gone for six months Mm -hmm. and he's acting out, you know, have a little patience. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. So that's it, you know, and, but most kids, you know, even here, our school is fantastic about, you know, um, supporting military kids. And, um, I don't think we've ever been in a place where we've been removed from a military community enough, but I know my sister has, her husband is in the national guard. And when he deployed, you know, obviously they were at their small town in Tennessee and they didn't have a huge amount of support and a lot of understanding right. for the fact that her kids are struggling because their dad's gone. So just those are some of those those things that maybe are not apparent on the face of it, you know. I imagine you guys have walked with people who have lost somebody. I know people who have been lost. I get teary, but Yancy. Yeah. I mean, I do too. It's just, it's hard. Like, I don't know what that looks like to show support or care, you know? Well, you're doing it. I mean, how would you, would you be any different if they weren't in the military? Uh, I mean, you know, people are people. Um, It's important to, to say that you care, but also understand that, you know, expressing your care is the important gesture. Um, You know, sometimes some people don't say anything because let's be honest in a situation like that, where you find someone who is bereft, you feel inadequate to the task. Words will be inadequate to the task. And as long as you understand that and are still willing to muster the courage to say, I'm really sorry, you know, please call on me if you need anything. And that's all you really need to say, because what else could you say? And so as long as you have the, the courage to do that, yeah, there's um, those folks who remain are still going to have to grieve for that person. I have had probably more experience with it because um, as a captain, I ran the Air Force Casualty Branch, which was, we are the ones responsible for taking the information and informing the teams that will go out and make notification to the families. Uh. And um, I have also made notification. I have also escorted human remains because that's part of what you do. And yeah. when people ask, and Emily is, you know, responded the same way as well as, well, how do you get through it? And the response is the same. You get through it because you have to. I mean, it's the task. It must mm-hmm. be done. Yeah. You know, no matter what happens, you must complete what you have been the task you have been given. Mm-hmm. And so I know people who have been yeah. lost in combat situations. I have known friends that have been lost in accident situations. It simply goes back to we're all human. Um, there's a tendency sometimes to see folks in the military as a set of clothes. You see the you see the uniform, but you don't see the person that resides in. And I don't say that with any heat. Um, but, you know, it's sometimes difficult. Let's take, for instance, when we were in Oklahoma, I would go and spend some time with the incoming class that were going to undergo a year's worth of undergraduate pilot training. When they graduated in a year, they would be Air Force pilots, which is one of the most difficult programs that you can enter into. And 
I would come in. And so you have a second lieutenant or, you know, sometimes up to a captain. They're in their early 20s. I am almost 50. Um, and so getting them to see something more than a set of clothes sometimes took either making fun of yourself or, you know, understanding an issue that applies to them or something that they would be interested in. And over time, you would watch you stop being a set of clothes. And that, that was probably the most rewarding time that we spent in Oklahoma outside of the job in Oklahoma was the best I ever had, period. Um, and interacting with those students and then seeing them around base later and then remembering the interaction we had made made the most impact. Yeah. So what made y'all, after you got married, decide that only one of you should continue? Was it because of kids or just? No, we didn't have children at the time. Um, We were both majors and... We had to sit down and discuss it because she was in the Army. I was in the Air Force. We basically, we didn't want to have to worry every two years if we were going to get stationed together. <laughs> oh, that they, can't, they can't work that out. Like that's not a guarantee. If we were both in the same service, if we'd both been in the Air Force, if we'd both been in the Army. Um that might've been easier, but even when I was, when we were trying to come, when I was, I came home from my deployment and I had put all my paperwork in to exit the military. They were trying to keep us together. And, you know, my branch was saying, you know, what can we do to keep you in, to keep you to stay? And I said, well, make sure I'm stationed with my husband. And they couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, they couldn't, they couldn't make the promise. And there was something else right. to it as well. If she had been stationed with me, and that would have been um, our move to North Carolina, her organization that she would join was already set to deploy the next year. So it would have ended up being two or three years together apart, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, and we also sat down and had a very serious discussion about who should continue in the military and her getting out of the military was not based on gender. It was based on a choice of us either being apart because frankly, I offered to get out of the military because I thought frankly, her career had a better shot at making senior officer. Uh, And I would have been perfectly happy to have followed her around. Um, Human resources is one of those you know, peanut butter career fields that you can find anywhere. Um, And so that was a discussion that we had. And frankly, I wasn't really satisfied with my job at that point. And I would have been happy to have separated. I'm glad I didn't. But at the time, that offer was definitely on the table. Uh, But I, you know, I'm, I'm a nurse, you know, I can everywhere we go. But of course that didn't actually turn out to be true, but everywhere we go, I could have gotten a nursing job. Um, but I liked the military. It was fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ENC loves the air force. So that, oh. was, that was another big key to it as well. You know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I was in the military. I had a great time. I, my experience was great. It shaped me in a lot of ways. It helped me in a lot of ways, but you know, 
honestly, I could have taken it or leave it, left it. I, and and yeah. yeah, fine. I didn't love it, but Yancey loves the Air Force. So that was another another kind of key decision to it as well. Yeah. Do you, would y'all be, have your boys expressed any interest in going in to the military or? Boyd. Boyd has. Our um, older son has. He's um, talked about wanting to be in the Navy and as being a marine a biologist. Marine biologist in the Navy. So, and I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid too. So um, <laughs> I, I'm happy that he's not viewing it as this thing that he would never do. Uh, okay. Yeah. Very specific expectations of what he would like to do in the military. You know, I, I'll I'll see how it plays out. I'm neither encouraging nor discouraging it. Um, Case has not expressed any interest in what he wants to do when he grows up, and I'm I'm okay with that too. I mean, the first two years of other than owning a pet store, I think that's the his the yeah. highest of his expectations right now. Right, right now. For an eight-year-old, is I don't know how that would fit in. (laughs) So that or being a herpetologist. But you would be happy. You would be happy if they both did. If if they were making choices that were well thought through and they were doing it for good reasons, yeah. Okay. But the what I expressed to Boyd when he was talking about those things is. The only expectation I have for what he does for a living is, does it allow you to be independent? Does it allow you to pursue the things that you want to pursue? Anything beyond that's gravy. And I have tried to place no expectations on it. I know that the, the Air Force has been a rewarding experience for me, and it has provided me opportunities that not a lot of folks get to do. And that's even not being you know, a pilot in the military or being part of the operational careers. So I, I'm happy to, if he comes in and says, I really like welding underwater, I'm go for it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, and having come back to it, especially later in life is I'm a big fan of the trades. You know, if you want to go pursue something in the trades, if he decides that he wants to join the military, fantastic. But no expectation of, you know, he's going to follow in his father's footsteps. Were your parent? Did your did your dad? Was your dad or no? No, uh, my dad was not. Um, he was. Why are you laughing? <laughs> my dad didn't think I could do it. <laughs> really? He thought I don't know what he thought, but he did not think it was for me. I was not the sporty kid. I was, you know, I in my sister was all sports and, you know, just a really, um, uh, confident person. That was my perception of her. She says that's not true, but, um, and I was, you know, I played, I was in the orchestra, you know, and I was not sporty and, you know, you have to have some amount of physicality in the military, but they teach you that. (laughs) Right. You know, um, I don't know. He didn't think I could do it. And, but I, I wanted a bachelor's of science in nursing and to get that accomplished, I had to figure out how to do it. And that's what I did. So I had thought about doing a associate RN program um, locally until, but when I got the scholarship, you know, that, that, 
facilitated me doing what I really wanted to do, which was a bachelor's right. of science in nursing. So, um, and my dad, and turned, it was fun. I had fun. Yeah, my dad turned 18 in 1968. Oh, and so he was up for the draft and his birthday was one of the first days drawn out of the fishbowl. And so Whoa. he was in college in Troy. So he got a, um, an exemption because he was attending college, but Wow. His perception of the military was as an 18-year-old young man at the height of the Vietnam War when they were drafting uh. tens of thousands of people. And, you know, our presence in Vietnam in 1968 was measured in you know, the tens of thousands at that point. So uh, yeah, that was his perception of it. So my perception of it was obviously 20 years later. Um, entering the military just after the fall of the Soviet Union. So in 1994 was when I joined. Mm -hmm. And so my perception of it was much different. Um, and, you know, I'm sure this is true for many people, but, you know, the things that my dad and I can talk about are usually football and baseball. And that's, you know, kind of where we should probably leave things. <laughs> and, and that's, that's not anything that I don't think any other son could express is because, you know, you are struggling to make your own way. And I made my way, yeah. you know, at 17 when I was a freshman in the University of Memphis joining Air Force ROTC. And so that was the path I wanted to choose. And, you know, again, my perception of the military is an all volunteer force, which happened after 1978 and a military at war that was drafting citizens um, is a very different perspective, especially in that point in your life. I'm going to be honest. I went into this conversation sort of anxious because I don't know anything about military life. I, I, I didn't know anything. I don't know the lingo. I was sort of worried I would say something totally off or I, I guess even offensive. We were like 45 minutes into this conversation, and I was thinking, I need to wrap this thing up because surely Yancey has more important things to do than talk to me. But Yancey was like, hey, I, I don't want to end this too quickly and leave you with questions unanswered. What else do you want to know? I felt so like, oh my goodness, he he's good with this. It made me think a little bit about humanity. How often are we afraid to engage with people in different circumstances than us, because I don't know, I guess there's lots of reasons. Maybe it will show our ignorance or something like that, but let's not stay there. Let's not stay in that fear. I'm not even sure if in this conversation I did ask anything stupid. I, I probably did, but they were more than happy to answer my questions. And because of that, it gave me this glimpse into their world. I gained so much perspective. And at the end of the day, at the core of it, I realized our families aren't really that different. We are way more alike than I thought. It was good to experience that. Thank you guys for listening. I so appreciate you. Um, it would be super helpful if you would share the Four Parents podcast with a friend. Y'all have a great rest of your day. <laughs>